Hey everyone, and welcome to The Kodakery. I'm Megan. And I'm Josh. Today, we're talking all things nitrate. What's nitrate? It's the original format of film. Introduced in the late 1800s, George Eastman created a nitrate film and began his venture into Kodak. Coming up in the end of April, the George Eastman Museum is holding the Nitrate Picture Show, a film festival here in Rochester, New York, exclusively playing nitrate film. And with us today on the episode are Deb Stoibert and Jared Case from the George Eastman Museum to discuss nitrate and what's happening at the festival. So let's jump into the Kodakery and talk with them. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Kodakery. Today we have taken the show on the road. We are at the George Eastman Museum in Rochester, New York. It's uh, right down the road from where Kodak uh, Tower is. The George Eastman Museum obviously is uh, very closely affiliated with George Eastman. In fact, part of the museum is his former home. Um, it's also one of the biggest collections of cameras, motion picture film, and still photography in the world. It's an amazing place. So we're here today to talk about Nitrate Film and the Nitrate Film Festival with Deb and Jared. Thanks for joining us, guys. Yeah, glad Thank to be you. here. So, Deb, what is it that you do here at uh, the George Eastman Museum? Uh, what I do here is I'm the collection manager in the moving image department in the George Eastman Museum. My responsibilities include anything that is on motion picture film, whether it be nitrate or acetate or polyester film, negatives, positives, preservation material, unique material as well. I'm also in charge of all of the video collection within our uh, department. This includes all of the uh, beta SP tapes, any sort of home movies, anything that is in the collection that has been uh, donated to the museum since its inception in 1949. Great. And Jared, what about you? I'm also in the moving image department. Uh, my title is the head of collection information research and access. And what that means is that anyone that has a request generally comes to me, whether it's for information about the collection or information about the films that we have, uh, whether it's a research appointment, we do have people come in and watch films on site, or if it's access, whether it's in our Dryden Theater where we have programs six days a week, or if it's access uh, to one of the prints outside, we send films all over the world for film festivals and repertory programs. Awesome. So, so let's talk about nitrate film. So to, let's go, kind of go back to, in kind of the history of, of film. What is nitrate film? When was it invented? Well, nitrate was first discovered around 1846 in Germany by a chemist who was working in his laboratory and discovered basically a smokeless sort of burst of energy that came through. So over time, they realized this was a very interesting plastic that could be basically used to make all kinds of objects. And what nitrocellulose really is, is this gun cotton. You take basically cotton that you know of to make your clothes and your bed sheets and everything. You boil it down with nitrate acid to make a dope. And then it is laid out thinly, it could, it could become a very clear plastic. And it was used for everything from uh, toys to shoes to collar cuffs to teeth to uh, I remember seeing in a museum in Toronto there was uh, shoes made with uh, the heels were made out of uh, nitrocellulose. Uh, you name it, it combs were used uh, and a lot of those artifacts still exist in museums today and it wasn't until about 18, late 1880s that uh, other people found other uses like George Eastman who discovered they can use it for photography because it was very flexible, it didn't break like glass, and it could be used and manipulated to make still photography and then later to motion picture film. 
So did it start just to make um, still images? It started first with still images um, in, term for, in terms of photography and, and imaging. But before then, people were using it for all kinds of things. Uh, and as, as it evolved and as more people discovered it and discovered ways to manipulate it, they realized it could be used for capturing even images. And when it was first created, they used to make it in very long, wide strips. And then later, things got cut down to what we commonly know for theatrical film of 35 millimeter. Okay. And, and you mentioned George Eastman, and, and uh, he, how did he contribute to kind of popularizing nitrate film? Basically by mass producing it for all of the photographers and cinematographers out there. He made a product that people could easily use and take out into the field with them. What he did was he took an idea and he expanded it so that it could be available to the common man, not just to very elite few who wanted to do photography. And that's what makes the product so great and what George Eastman made was so great was you could essentially go out and anybody could do it. a family going on vacation or say a student wanting to take home movies or somebody an older person wanting to take pictures of their grandchildren we have wonderful pieces in our collection uh, that were shot even here in western New York where families were shooting uh, home movies of their their children and their small children and in one case uh, this is kind of going back into a story but uh, a family donated some nitrate film and they didn't know what was on it because they couldn't figure, they couldn't look at it so we showed it to them and we took still photographies with a camera of, of the images and sent it and they were so surprised and, and shocked because the woman who donated it her her mother had three other siblings and not all of them lived to adulthood and so she actually had images to show her mother of her siblings that had passed away when they were much younger they died of diphtheria and so it gives a chance for, for people to remember families and remember past events. That's the one thing I really love about even with nitrate film is that it is a piece of our past history and we're able to still see it even today. Things that otherwise wouldn't have existed if, if people like George Eastman hadn't made it so that everyone could use it. And, but now today, it's not really in commercial theater. So how long of a stint did it have um, in, in most theaters? The last nitrate manufactured was made in 1951, or technically around May of 19, or excuse me, February of 1952, I think is when the last piece rolled off at Kodak Park. Uh, so you started to see it being phased out pretty quickly after that. Uh, you do hear of nitrate fires happening when people would pull old films out of their out of their booth, projection booth, and reshow things in the 60s and 70s. But generally, most fires, if they did occur in a in a theater, happen much earlier because nitrate, unfortunately, is quite flammable. Oh, it's gunpowder. <laughs> it's a gunpowder. And one of the things George Eastman tried to do, even as early as the 1930s, was to create a safety stock, or basically one that didn't burn. And he came up with what is known as acetate film stock. So I'm probably jumping jumping ahead on your questions, but... Uh, yeah, I, I actually read that the U.S. Navy made a training film for projectionists yes. on how to handle nitrate film. So, yes. which is really interesting that the U.S. Navy would get involved, but I guess, be, you know, just for general protection. But so <clears throat> what happens when it, it, uh, it catches fire? How do you put it out? 
you can't. It actually produces its own oxygen as it burns. And you can see even videos on YouTube where people are taking nitrate, old scraps of nitrate film, and they're burning it, and they're putting it in boi- uh, buckets of water, and the water boils away. Or they're throwing, I think in that Navy film, they would throw a blankets of asbestos on top, and it would burn through the asbestos. Uh, tried sand, they've tried everything. And and it, you really have to wait for it to, to basically burn itself out. And all that's left is, is just ash and wow. carbon. So, so um, that clearly is one of the reasons why it didn't remain popular, right? Is because it was so dangerous to handle because of the fires and all the different things that mm-hmm. potentially happened with it. Mm-hmm. It is, and also I think it was. It's time everybody's always improving your products. You always want to improve what you're working on, and I think what George Eastman wanted to do is he wanted to just keep making a better product, a product that people could feel safer with, uh, especially with projectionists and with theaters. You wanted to keep your audiences safe. You didn't want them to be nervous or scared. Uh, my dad remembers a story. My dad grew up in Taft, California, and when he was a small child, he was at the Fox Theater in their town, and there was a fire in the booth, and my grandmother freaked out because she remembered, she was thinking it was nitrate but it wasn't nitrate it was already past 1951 but she had just everybody still had that those memories of what a nitrate fire can do and it's really been taking I think a generation like my parents my my generation to realize it's no longer a safety concern but if you go back to that time period people were nervous you know people would show movies on uh, ships you have to imagine going on a a luxury liner to Europe they they would show movies and there would be there would be nitrate fire you know nitrate on on ships and there would be nitrate just about anywhere you can imagine if you wanted to watch a movie on 35 now amateur film like 16 millimeter was never made on nitrate film stock ever so we do get calls all the time with people with 16 millimeter and 8 millimeter film saying I think it's nitrate it's really old and we have to calm them down and say no there's no such thing Kodak or any other company never made 16 millimeter on nitrate film stock, so you can you can take you, a deep you're here to hear, folks. Deep, deep, deep <laughs> breath of relief. You don't have to worry about it. Kodakery is bringing the safety information. Yes, so, <laughs> only 35 people. Yeah, only 35. Not 70 millimeter. Not 16 millimeter. Only 35. So, how how many theaters um, project in nitrate now? Maybe if in the United States, maybe. Yeah, in the, in the United States, we've identified three, including ourselves. Uh, the UCLA Film Television Archive has one or two theaters that's rated to uh, project nitrate. And there's another in Palo Alto, California. Palo Alto. I was going to say Santa Clarita. That's the vaults. Uh, another in Palo Alto that has projected nitrate in the past, but I don't think they've done it in quite a while. And around the world, we hear stories about other venues that can project nitrate. The laws differ from country to country. Some completely forbid it. Uh, Some, like the United States, you have to have very strict regulations and take care of not only the projectors and the space, but your storage of the nitrate film as well. I bet. So what what are those regulations? They come in every year and inspect it? We do have a fire marshal who comes through every year to check, make sure that we're meeting all of our um, county standards for Monroe County where we're located. There's also a list of from the National Fire Protection Association. There's a list of rules for storing film. And we do meet those standards because they've been adopted, again, by Monroe County. And so we do store our nitrate not in the city of Rochester. We store it outside the city. We have about 24,000 reels of nitrate film in our collection. 
Approximately 80% of our collection is negative, a majority of which are original negatives. So these are the films that were in the camera on the film set capturing that image for the first time. This is your this is your ground point. This is your starting point. So when we say things we have the original camera negatives for Gone with the Wind, we're talking about the film that was in the camera on that film set. Wow. Uh, when we talk about, yeah, when we do have that, That's and we awesome. have uh, the original negatives even for Lenny Riefenstahl's Olympia, which is, of course, the documentary about the Berlin Olympics of 1936. We have a lot of films in our collection that would not have existed otherwise. They're called orphan films or films made by small independent companies that were not with a big studio. And these may be the only unique copies left of the work they created. And a lot of them have movie stars in it that would have been very popular at the time. A lot of westerns, a lot of, you know, kind of slapstick comedies that maybe nobody would recognize their names anymore for the general audience. But here's a record of, of their work, of what they did in that time period. So it's sort of like a time capsule when you look. And some of these films are really strange, and they have odd titles like The Sign of the Cucumber is one of my favorite ones. Uh, <laughs> or they have just yeah, all kinds yeah. of crazy, crazy things going on in them. But, you know, and they're they're dated to some people, but for most people it's a great great look at it, what we now call an alternative type of cinema, uh, a chance to see original cinema and a chance to see how people viewed and enjoyed cinema at that time period. Right. So, so Ken, talking about, you know, viewing uh, nitrate film, I mean, what's the difference between watching a film on nitrate versus uh, kind of the, the acetate film that came later? <laughs> uh, that's sort of a complex question it's it's something that we try to tackle every day it's what is the aesthetics of of nitrate film versus acetate film and from a manufacturing standpoint you know they tried to make the it unnoticeable during the transition they didn't want one to be better or worse than the other or they want at least wanted the acetate to be as good as the nitrate um, there are people that are of the opinion that the, the clarity, the refractive index of the nitrate is actually better than that of the acetate. And I don't know that I can speak to that specifically, but there are other uh, factors to take into account when you're watching a nitrate film being projected versus an acetate, such as the silver content of the black and white emulsion. As Deb mentioned, uh, they try to make things better as, as they go on, you try to improve your product, but you also try to improve the margins. So you try to use less material to make the same amount, and that way you can keep the price the same while keeping the cost low. So you try to make the film thinner, you try to use less silver, um, and, and I think that's a main factor in terms of watching these original black and white prints versus the acetate copies that were made from them, is not only is are you duping it down from the original, but you're losing that, that silver content that was uh, a component of the original nitrate. And well, how does that how does that result into what you're seeing as far as the silver being less? The the, the blacks are, are much denser and there's a, a greater variety of of tones in the in the blacks and the grays. So that the image that I see, I see much bigger difference in black and white than I do in color. The there's a depth to the image that's just not there because the, the gradients are, are so fine and the um, and the edges of, of the images that you're seeing are, are so sharp that it really creates almost like a 3D image. I, I compare it a lot to 
um, 3D films like the one that Alfred Hitchcock made, uh, Dial M for Murder, where he wasn't using so much the space in front of the screen, but he was using that depth to create a sense of space, almost like there's a proscenium where the, the screen is and you're looking back into the depths of the stage. And with the black and white films, especially uh, certain directors like John Ford, and they have these vistas that they shoot just beautifully. And the depth there with the clouds moving in the background. Uh, we showed Casablanca at the festival last year and and the the textiles, that there was almost a texture to them on the screen. So. As much as you think you've seen this film title before, even on 35mm, when you watch it on nitrate, that silver content in the black and whites really makes a difference in, in terms of the content. I think the same thing last year we did, uh, The Fallen Idol. Mm-hmm. And I have it at home on DVD. And I, I love that movie. I love British you know, mysteries. And the print... There's a, there's a scene in there where they're playing hide and seek at night and, and they're they're flash it's in this big house and she's flashing the lights on and off and they're all giggling and laughing, and it's just beautiful to see those just just changing over and over and what I I mean obviously my TV is not going to be the same it's not a screen, but the, to get that experience in the theater and to have an appreciative audience who are all there for the same reason is is really what makes. I think a film festival so much more rewarding than staying at home and watching it, you know, on my TV and, and right. on my couch. Right, and and so so when you guys talk about Casablanca as an example, that was originally shot on nitrate. Yes, I mean that's yes. So I yep. mean I, I think that's something that maybe as we talk about this, we talk about some of the alternative things that have happened, but also some of the biggest films of all time. Absolutely, this is how they were captured. Yeah. This is how it all started. Yes, and uh, those are things where you may have some of the only versions of it left in the world correct on nitro film so that's that's another reason to come we're not even talking about the festival yet let's get there it's a reason to yeah (laughs) yeah let's talk about the festival that's why we're here so you guys do project this stuff Yes. Here in Rochester. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I've been in charge of our nitrate film collection, and Jared goes out there occasionally to help as well mm-hmm. with some other staff. But I inspect nitrate almost on a daily basis, and I'm really spoiled with it because <laughs> I get a chance to see, to actually handle these negatives and get a chance to handle these prints and these, these uh, preprint elements. So I'm very spoiled. Right now I'm reading a book on Greta Garbo, and we have a lot of Greta Garbo negatives in our collection. And so I am very spoiled because last night I was reading about Queen Christina. And so first thing I do when I come to work today is, do we have the negative of Queen Christina? Is that here? Because I'd really like to take a look at it because I just read this book, part in the book. And and that in that chance, I feel like I'm very spoiled. I'm very lucky to be working in this environment and to work with you know some really great people. And we're all kind of film nerds together, and we all do these things. But I, we also work in this environment where if we don't have the answer to the question, we have a great resource library here at the museum and a lot of other coworkers that could help answer those questions. So it gives me a chance to, so I looked up The Single Standard, another uh, Greta Garbo movie from 1929, and said, well, okay, why don't we have the original negatives? Well, unfortunately, it was lost in a fire at MGM in 1968, 1967 And so this is sort of helps me build my own knowledge and, and actually appreciate the nitrate even more. But it's hard for me to convey that to other people, which is why I'm glad to be doing this podcast yeah. today, because it gives me a chance to ramble on about these crazy stories. It's, yeah, yeah. it's, a, it's an amazing resource that we're very lucky to have here kind of right at, yeah. at our fingertips in Rochester, and for anybody who can travel here, you should travel here. So let's talk about the festival. It's coming up shortly here, right? Yes. Um, how, how long has the festival been happening here? Uh, this is actually the second year of the festival, but 
it's something that I feel in a lot of ways the George Eastman Museum has always been meant to do. Uh, when we opened in 1949, we were still in the nitrate era towards the end before we changed over to acetate. But the film collection that came along with James Card, who was our first director of the motion picture department, as it was called then, had his own collection of film, both 35 millimeter and 16 millimeter. So in order to show those films, as a museum should, we knew that we needed to build a theater to that could properly display these films on the big screen. So from 1949, when we opened, we were already in plans to cre- create an exhibition space for the films, and that was the Dryden Theater, which opened in 1951. Once we knew that we were going to do that, and during the transition from nitrate to acetate, we made sure that the Dryden Theater throughout all those decades was able to show the nitrate film that was still in good enough shape to be shown. And so we've been maintaining this for the last 65 or more years. And in order to keep these films in the condition that they could be shown, we created the first uh, privately owned state-of-the-art nitrate vaults. And we opened those up on the campus here at George Eastman Museum. And those opened in 1952. So the Library of Congress already had vaults at the time, but we were the first private organization that had this type of uh, access to conservation that would allow the films to live much longer than they would in, in normal storage. And other archives, such as the Museum of Modern Art, would send their films here to be stored because they recognized that this was the way to keep the films and give them vitality for as long as possible. So we've been doing that for more than six decades, keeping them safe and being and maintaining the ability to project them. Uh, but 20 years ago, this is actually the 20th year of the L. Jeffrey Selznick School of Film Preservation, which was started back in 1996, with the idea that with all of this information and all the resources that we have here, we could pass down that knowledge to the next generation of people that would care for and project these films. So with the vaults and with the ability to project and with the idea that we were going to pass this information, this knowledge down to the next generation, it just made sense with bringing all those together in 2015 to create a weekend where we could celebrate nitrate film and show as many of the ones that were still able to be uh, shown as possible. And it's not just our material. We've been culling from uh, archives around the world because we're not the only ones that understand that conservation is important. So we have films coming from Europe, uh, from other continents that I may not be able to talk about yet. Uh, other archives uh, within the United <laughs> States, certainly. <laughs> there, there's five major archives in the United States uh, ourselves the Academy Film Archive and the UCLA Film and Television Archive in LA, the Museum of Modern Art down in New York City, and the Library of Congress. And each of them has contributed uh, films both last year and this year to the festival so that we could increase the scope and breadth of what we're showing for the the attendees at the festival. So how many films are you showing for the Uh, We have 10 programs this year. Okay. Nice. What are, what are the highlights? Do we have a Do we have a, a Casablanca or a Gone with the Wind level of? Can, well, can we, we had Casablanca last year. Right. That's what. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're not going to show that again this year. Uh, but there there are highlights, as I say, from many different places. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've tried to add as much variety as we could. So you know, we had uh, th- there was sort of an unofficial theme last year of like doomed love. 
between... <laughs> it just sort of worked out that way. Everything had sort of, it was like Twisted Love or Doomed yeah, Love. Between Portrait of Jenny, Black Narcissus, Leave Her to Heaven. There was a lot of doomed romances yeah. last year. So like how art comes out when you're, you're lovesick <laughs> or something. Right. Exactly. Well, we figured, you know, if you really love nitrate, you should, you should come and see, right. see love in nitrate. So it's not like we're trying to get away from that. We're, we're still, you know, if something's great, we want to show that. But we also tried to look at other genres and, and things that might be a little peppier. Yeah. And yeah. and one thing I think we've been really careful about with, with the festival is, you know, what, you know, even when I talk to friends who are maybe not as into fil- much film as we are, when they think of old film, they think of it as being jerky and scratched and old, tiny kind of images. And this is how people usually perceive old film. And we're trying to show that, and I think we are doing a very good job of showing that f- that nitrate film is beautiful. It is a gorgeous, gorgeous product that people would see and enjoy, and we want people to go back to seeing that experience. So, you know, when you look at modern movies where they show going back in time, they show little, you know, they they actually digi- digitally put in scratches and right, jerky right, movements because right. that's what people perceive, and it's not really like that, and it doesn't have to be perceived that way. So, one of the the areas I really am happy with this festival is that we are making a point of showing nitrate for its beauty in it and its its style and not just as something to be left behind and to that point we, we were talking about black and white film earlier but the color processes of the time were very unique as well certainly we're all familiar with the color negative color positive process now but they didn't have that back during the the time of nitrate what they were using was uh, the technicolor corporation had several different processes but the one that we think of with wizard of oz or gone with the wind was a technicolor dye imbibition process where they actually made three negatives and they took those negatives, created matrices from them, and dipped them in dye, cyan, magenta, and yellow, and then pressed them directly onto the film with proper registration so that they created these full-color masterpieces that we see. And all of the films that we show, if they're color, are likely to be technicolor. I mean, if, if we get back far enough, I suppose there are color, other color processes, but I don't know. Well, I don't want to spoil anything. No, either, last year we did Lever to Heaven, and that was in beautiful technical. And Black Narcissus. Oh, beautiful technical. Nothing sacred. Yeah, that's always a fun print. What a cool thing. Like, like this chemical process, and all the while when you watch the end result, you don't even think about it. You get sucked into a story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that really happened with Lever to Heaven. I think a lot of people wanted to come and see uh, Technicolor, but it's such a great story, and, and you really get caught up into it. Yeah, that was one of my favorites from last year. Yeah. Over time, I think people have kind of almost taken for granted how much science goes into film, like every movie, especially back in the beginning. There was so much chemistry and science involved in everything in order to create the art that we all appreciate so much. So just to hear you guys talk about it, it really brings that forward. I would love to uh, yeah, I would love to see some of these. Well, if I, if I can digress a little bit, um, we, as an institution, we understand that as well. And it's not just, you know, the, the ultimate goal is that presentation of the film, but We've been pursuing collections of Technicolor material, and the Technicolor Corporation did give us just literally tons of equipment, along with uh, many thousands of technical corporate files, and we have added to that with diaries about Technicolor and yes, had photographs. had an ex- exhibition here on Technicolor, right? We had yeah, an I exhibition that, last yeah. year, but mm-hmm. I mean, that really just scratches I'm the sure. surface. I, yeah. I feel yeah. another episode of the Kodakery coming out. <laughs> you always do. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
That's 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 really, and then there's the giant wall of inks out in the museum. That took yeah, four years to put together. That's uh, incredible. So you guys have to come and check that out. Yep, definitely. So so, um, what else? What are the other? We're talking. We're talking about films. Are there key speakers that come for the festival? Absolutely. Yeah, uh, we sub supplement the weekend with uh, talks by archivists or authors that come in and visit us. Uh, we have um, workshops. Uh, actually, a couple of uh, people that are on staff here, Mark Osterman and Nick Brandreth, take a few groups of people and uh, they show them how nitrate film is made. So they take them down in the lower levels of the archive building here and they actually make a solution. They cast it on a table oh, cool. and perforate it and slit it and show you exactly how that process works. Something that we're offering for the first time this year is tours of the nitrate vaults that Deb was talking about. So you hop on a bus and uh, take it out to Chai Lai and uh, tour the vaults where all these original negatives mm -hmm. are held. And I'm going to be hosting the tours this year. And That's giving right. people can actually go into the vaults and see the collections and see how they're stored. Is it nope. stored at the same temperature as um, acetate filled? We do here at this museum. We store it at 40 degrees Fahrenheit, 30% relative humidity. With our nitrate vaults, we have a fresh air exchange every 20 minutes. This allows a lot of airflow around the material to help keep it as uh, preserved as possible. You said fresh air exchange? Fresh air exchange. So here we use a recycled air uh, for energy efficiency, but if films are starting to decay they let off an odor mm. and the problem with nitrate film is that when it starts to decay the smells are auto what autocatalytic autocatalytic yeah. autocatalytic and that can actually spread through the vault and affect other films it's like a cancer so if we constantly have a fresh air exchange through those odors if there is any cannot spread and affect everything else in the vault so it's it's actually a really great tour. We have twelve vaults out there, and it's it's really kind. Of, we always tell people bring a sweater, and they oh, I'll be fine. I'm like, no, bring a sweater. It's very cold. <laughs> I, I I made that mistake the first time I went to the vault here in this building. Oh, okay. <laughs> cold down there. It's like, yeah, it's like it's winter in here. Um, um, we uh, we have two speakers this year. Uh, David Francis, who has been in the archive business for just decades, uh, he helped build the. Uh, campus that the Library of Congress now sits on in Culpeper, Virginia. He started up the Indiana University Film Archive, and he's starting up another archive in Great Britain right now, so he's going to be joining us. And there's also Wolfgang Klawe, who is going to be coming uh, from Germany, and those will be the speakers that we have on Friday. On Saturday, one of our staff projectionists, Daryl Jones, is going to be giving a lecture on carbon art projection, which was the main way that people saw films projected, the light source for projectors from the early days up through the 1960s and 70s, really. And that's when the xenon bulb came in, which are also safer. But I mean, when you think about there's an open flame with these carbon arcs that are burning, and on the other side of the shield is where your combustible nitrate film is, <laughs> right. you can see how that would be a problem. Yeah. So uh, one of the reasons to change from nitrate to acetate, but also you know it's consumable, so you wanted to come up with something that was going to have a more stable color temperature and is going to last a lot longer. So they went to xenon bulbs, and that's going to be on Saturday. Uh, one of the things I'm really excited about adding this year is something we're calling the nitrate touch where we're going to have uh, staff members, both students of the Selznick School as well as department staff members, in a public area. 
actually inspecting nitrate film, and we've got uh, some specific ones picked out, uh, and people are going to be able to ask questions. If they put on a glove, they might be able to touch and feel how the, the nitrate feels in your hand, get a close-up look of some of the colors and negatives uh, that we have in our collection that have already been preserved or, for maybe reasons, uh, may not be preserved, but they're going to be on view in a public area, not just for the festival attendees, but for everybody who's coming to the museum that weekend. Cool. And um, what is this blind date that I heard of? Blind date. Ah, uh, the film? blind date. So y- you may have guessed uh, by my evasiveness earlier <laughs> that uh, we're not releasing the schedule of films until the day that the festival starts. Oh, okay. The idea is we really do want to talk about nitrate as uh, a medium rather than talking about the specific film. So if I had mentioned last year that we were going to show Casablanca, everybody wants to talk about Casablanca. What we want to talk about is nitrate and how special it is and how few places can do it and how important it is to keep it going as as displaying the original element. So you're, you're not going to be satisfied going to the Louvre and seeing a picture of the Mona Lisa. You want to see the Mona Lisa itself. There's that tactile connection. You're breathing the same air as, as that important piece of art. And that's what we're trying to bring to this festival is that same type of exhibition. But I also think that if we revealed the titles, I think people might take them for granted. Again, taking Casablanca as an example. Oh, I've seen that already. But you really haven't, you know, until you come and you experience the nitrate look, the the density and, and the depth that I was describing, you can think about having already seen the film and yet have a different experience when you when you when you actually watch it on film on a big screen with a, an appreciative audience. There was one film that I was desperate to book last year. and It just did not work in the uh in the festival, and I won't reveal the title because it's something we haven't used. If we find another print, I'm going to jump on it. But it was a film, a classic Oscar-winning film that I had felt kind of okay about. I had seen it a couple times, including at a festival just recently, like that year or the year before. And when it came on screen, there was just a completely different emotional reaction. It was, you know, the the scope of the film suddenly brought so much more to that emotional story at the core. I was having a completely different reaction. So what Blind Date is, is taking that a step farther. We will reveal all the titles on Friday, the first day of the festival, except for the final film. So the final film is completely blind to everyone going in you don't know what it is until until it hits the screen and you you can tell us it's okay we won't (laughs) put your hand in front of the mic yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) um but that's been at least last year it was something from our collection that was special and that was actually uh the fallen idol the one that uh, deb was talking about last year so we're trying to find something maybe not as well known something to reevaluate to rediscover but it's got to be a gorgeous print. And when, when The Fallen Idol, when the title came up in those first couple of scenes, people were applauding because That's a lot of people awesome. were thinking, do I really want to stay for the last film? Or do I want to, you know, it was nice. It was a beautiful weekend in Rochester. And we're like, no, you really want to stay. You really want to stay for that last film. And a lot of people said they were glad that they did. So Absolutely. I think it's worth, if you're going if you're going to go in, go all in for the whole festival. You can't. <laughs> That's awesome. You, you can't. Uh, deny yourself from seeing seeing everything you really can't so how do you get tickets 
passes are on sale right now through the Eastman.org website, Eastman.org slash NPS for Nitrate Picture Show. And those are going to be available right up until uh, the festival starts. We'll be selling passes for the entire weekend. Uh, if there's a chance that we don't sell out this year, there will be single screening passes for sale at the box office. And this is all happening April 29th through May 1st of 2016. Starts during the day on the 29th? The in first the morning, screening uh, will be at 5 o'clock on Friday, April 29th. Uh, the tours, the workshops, the talks, that's going to be all day Friday. So it's going to be a very full and uh, rewarding weekend. Yeah, doors open at 9 a.m. on that Friday where you can pick up your registration and get your T-shirt. Get your T-shirt. T-shirts are on sale now, yeah, actually. T-shirts are on sale now. And yeah, even if you can't be at the festival, anybody can wear a T-shirt. So we've we've already sold uh, a bunch. Where I'm, I'm waiting right now. I'm going to turn my phone back on and hope that there's a, a message that I can go pick them up and start shipping them out. But we've got an initial order, and those are selling out. So we're going to have to order more before the festival comes around so that the hundreds of people that are coming from all over the world are going to be able to, to come and have their and, own. And the, those funds support the museum. Absolutely, so yeah. It's, a, it's important to take part and to, you know, if, even if you can't come to Rochester but you love film, go to the website, buy some stuff support the museum it's an incredible institution um so so this sounds like a really exciting uh event i hope that we can make it and and join you guys and see it i really appreciate appreciate you coming on and we really appreciate all of the work that you do for film preservation i they a few minutes ago when you talked about seeing an original of a of a film and is the same as seeing an original painting i think that's a really important thing to kind of take away from the conversation is that it, and I think with film more so even than with other types of art, people almost forget because it's on TV all the time. It's so accessible on Netflix. But there, it, it, there is a difference. Like it was created on a medium. And it, you know, to see it on that medium, the original film, is a really special experience. So thank you for all that you do to keep that coming. Oh, thanks. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, had a good time. Thanks. It is a great satisfaction to be able to speak to you through the medium of this wonderful invention.